UConn remained perfect in five NCAA tournament championship games with last night's 76-59 victory over San Diego State. And out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined the sports on by Carrie Miller of Bleacher Report. And Carrie, always a pleasure to talk to you. First up, let's start with UConn. First team to ever win the six tournament games by at least 13 points. We have a poll question up. What impressed you the most? UConn's offense or UConn's defense during this tournament? Which, how would you answer that question? Uh, I'd, I'd probably go defense. I mean, certainly their, just their overall depth is what blew me away uh, in that game against Miami Saturday night. Eight different guys made multiple field goals. I'm pretty sure the same eight all scored last night. I don't know if they all made two buckets from the field, but they, they just come at you in waves, man. Sonogo is like, should have been a first-team All-American. Uh, we kind of forgot about him in January when they struggled for a while, but he goes off the court, and you're thinking, oh, good, it's a relief, and then this seven-foot-two monster comes in and just blocks everything. <laughs> Donovan Klingon, I mean, it, it was it was unreal. When Klingon was on the court, I think San Diego State was held scoreless, basically. Like, they just couldn't do anything. And so I, th- I think it was their defense, certainly this weekend, what they were able to do, just completely shutting down Miami, and then uh, the way they just put San Diego State in the locker. I'm glad you brought up Kling, and I will get to him momentarily here. Yeah, the 16-point lead did get as close to five before Jordan Hawkins mm-hmm. hit the three-pointer to kind of end the drama. Maybe there was you – know, when the lead was cut to five, did you think there was actually drama at that point? Yeah. No, it was uh, – I was starting to freak out. I had already written most of my, uh, you know, UConn's the new <laughs> best program in the nation article, and then they cut it to five, and, man, you it, you could feel it in the stadium. Like, everybody was – I was on the San Diego State side of the stadium, and it was loud. <laughs> but when it, when uh, when uh, Hawkins hit that three, that just sucked all the air right out of the – at least that half of the arena, and, and then they just pulled away from there. So they missed – they being San Diego State, missed four consec- 14, excuse me, 14 mm. consecutive shots during the first half. They managed to cut the lead to five. First up, why did they fall down as much as they did when they missed all those shots? But, you know, what was the reason that they just couldn't score? And also, you know, what was the reason they were able to cut that lead back to five? Yeah, I mean, not scoring was kind of San Diego State's DNA throughout the season, right? They only had yeah. – Matt Bradley was their only double-digit scorer all year long, um, and he had some big shots early on, but then they just – like I was saying, then Klingon came in, and they anything they tried to do within ten feet of the rim just wasn't happening. I think he he blocked like three shots on one possession. It felt like it was just unreal. And then uh, I, I I honestly I don't know how they made the comeback. Like I was I was blown away that they were able to make it interesting because once I think it was thirty six twenty four at halftime. I was like, well, this is over. I, I know San Diego State came back against Florida Atlantic. I know they came back against uh, Alabama, but. Connecticut just had been a freight train throughout the whole tournament. I figured they were just going to run away with it at that point, but it, I'm glad they made things interesting, even though it did stress me out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you're unstressed now, so that's good. Uh, Kerry Miller, Bleacher Report, Corona in the Sports Zone. So, was this just a case of too much link for UConn against San Diego State? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, everybody was talking about the Sonogo versus Mensa matchup in the paint, which, I mean, Mensa has been great in this tournament. He's a really good defensive player, but, I mean, it was never going to be 
you know, Mensa carrying them on offense. And when when they backed off him and let him take some 15-footers, you could see why it was never going to be Mensa carrying them on offense. Um, I think that, you know, it was a mismatch from the get-go. And then when they went to the benches and it was clinging against Ladie, it was just, just unfair. Uh, they really were just too big, too deep, too strong, and too, uh, too defensive line. I think they were... Yeah, both these teams were elite on defense. Just Connecticut was just so much better on offense all year long. Okay, you mentioned Sonogo. Uh, yeah, he's shown a tre- really tremendous improvement over the past three seasons. What stands out to you regarding his improvement? Yeah, he actually is uh, He's a threat now to score from the perimeter. He hit those two early threes uh, against Miami. I mean, they were, you know, he was standing still. They didn't even pretend to defend them, but that was not a thing two years ago. Um, I think we, you know, when we see all these these big men come back year after year, you know, Shebway, Baycott, Timmy, Dickinson. Well, Dickinson has improved his range, and I guess he's coming back for another year. Now he's in the transfer portal because he can't even get through the Final Four without some of that drama going on. But these big <laughs> men that come back and do develop as perimeter shooters, I mean, that's that's what you're coming back for, right, to, to show yourself off mm-hmm. to the NBA. and I, going to be interesting what his decision is. I mean, I, I assume Hawkins is gone. He might be a lottery pick. But if, if the no-go does come back for another year, UConn's probably going to be number one in the polls heading into the next season. Yeah, you mentioned Hawkins. I don't want to slight him. I don't want to slight Andre Jackson. I think their, their, their importance is pretty self-explanatory. But I do want to ask about you know, Tristan Newton, who overcame some early turnovers last night. He ended up with 19 points, 10 rebounds, and four assists. And, you know, when I was watching UConn earlier in the season, when they had that rough stretch during the uh, Big East season, you know, he didn't play great. So what what uh, did he do to improve his game during uh, the last you know, month and a half, two months of the season? Yeah, it was during that time. It was really, you know, Hawkins and uh, and Sonogo. And it, they, were, they were kind of like Indiana at that point, right? Where it was Trace Jackson Davis, Jalen Hood, Shafino, and then, Hmm. Who knows what else is going to show up when, when Newton wasn't playing well, when, when Klingon was not getting as many minutes off the bench when they were just struggling in the Big East play. But, yeah, he man, he really showcased his range this weekend. I'll tell you that. He has some deep, deep three-pointers uh, in each of those games. I, I think he just he just got his confidence back. He got his swagger. Um, yeah, there was one point in the, um, the Miami game, I, I think it was uh, Bensley Joseph uh, hit a shot and was like, getting in Newton's face, he just looked at him like, "What? who do you think you are, man? Like, Do you even know me? Like, I'm going to destroy you now. And then he went and did it. <laughs> he just, he believes in himself, uh, and I think he really proved that, you know, there were people questioning whether or not he was, you know, a legitimate point guard, and I think he proved everybody wrong. You mentioned Donovan Klingon a couple times in his defense uh, last night, and also mm-hmm. Saturday. I thought the first half his defense was unbelievable on Saturday. Same thing last night. And certainly both those uh, performances made a huge difference. You know, no pun intended uh, here as far as a big difference, but uh, how is he so, being clinging, how is he so fundamentally sound as a freshman? Yeah, I mean, he literally his first possession on the court last night, he came in on defense and forced a three-second violation by just, you know, being able to, to move his feet, uh, you know, not overcommit, not commit a foul, uh, just – He's got that 
you know, DNA in him. I mean, he doesn't have the shot yet. I think he's like a 54% free throw shooter. He doesn't have any range. Most of his buckets are alley-oops, but, you know, when you're that big, that's a, that's a nice luxury you can have. I, I am curious why so many people think he could be a first-round pick when others say Zach Eady won't even get drafted. I mean, I feel like he's basically the same player already, you know, two years earlier in his development, but he's Man, he's been so good, you know, on a minute by minute basis. I, I think he's been one of the best players in the entire country, freshman or not. Um, you know, a month into the season, I had him at number one in my freshman of the year ranking. Obviously, eventually Brandon Miller replaced him atop that list just because he was unbelievable for Alabama. But that Klingon was just so clutch in what they did all season. Does he have a decision to make right now whether he goes to the NBA? I think he does. It surprises me. Uh, I saw um, Sam Vecini for The Athletic was saying he, he legitimately would be a first-round pick if he decides to yeah. to go pro. So I, I think you know, it, it, it's always like this when you win a title, right? It's a, a huge question of who's actually going to come back. Um, you know, Baylor lost everybody after they won it all. Kansas lost everybody except for Jalen Wilson, pretty much. Connecticut could bring back a lot of these guys. Like I said, Hawkins is gone, but they could have quite an influence, and they have an incredible recruiting class coming in. So, well, haven't seen a repeat champ in, what, 16 years now? I, I don't think we will because the tournament's so random, but it's going to feel like that's what should happen if they get the no-go and Klingon back for sure. Danny Harley wins the national championship. How did Hurley get his team to play its best in, in March and uh, I guess the first, I guess technically the first three days of April? How'd that happen? Yeah, there's just – there's something about Connecticut in March. I I don't get it. They've never they've won five titles in the last quarter century. They were never supposed to win it. Right? They've done it as even the year that they won it as a one seed. They were like a ten point underdog against Duke in the championship game. Uh, then the other years they were a two, three, four, and a and a seven. But just something about them. They they figured out. I, I saw an interview with uh, Ray Allen who was at the game last night. He said. You know, if you if you're coming to stores to play basketball, you know you realize that's all there is to do in stores. You know, you're you're not coming here to go to the beach. You're not coming here to go to the clubs. You're here to play basketball. And I I don't know if something about that makes them stronger in March for it. But man, you know, once they get going in the tournament, they are fully confident. Like you said, they're five and zero all the time in in national championship games. Uh, maybe the the Big Ten can bring them in real quick. I think the Big Ten has lost eight consecutive <laughs> national championship games. Uh, get that monkey off that league's back. <laughs> yeah, plus four of those uh, national championships in the state of Texas. So if they could just, uh, yeah. you know, like a, you could move to El Paso or something next year or whatever. So it's a, it, that's pretty amazing in itself. Talking with Kerry Miller, Bleacher Report. Yeah, I don't want to slide San Diego State here. You know, they never advanced beyond the Sweet 16 until this year. What impressed you the most about Brian Dutcher and the Aztecs here in the last few weeks? Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't mean to dislike them either. I made kind of a snarky comment about their offense, which, you know, that was a, an issue all season, even in the tournament. Yeah. I mean, they, they did not score well uh, until the second half of that Florida Atlanta game, really, where they, they made that incredible comeback. But, yeah, they, they were just so, so great on defense. Um, you know, they're another team like Connecticut that just, comes at you at wave. I think at one point in the game, both teams had, I'm not including the garbage time minutes where they all put in their, you know, deep reserves, but 
I think there were like legitimate minutes in the game where they each were nine deep uh, on the floor. I, I think that was such a an important thing for San Diego State all year long. Everybody that comes in plays hard defense, um, and, and they were one of the oldest teams in the country. So, you know, that was good for them this year. We'll see how that works out for them moving forward because they're going to lose Matt Bradley, Nathan Mensah, two of their key reserves, and possibly more. You never know in the portal era. But, yeah, they, they were – honestly, when, when I was, like, writing up you know, power rankings before the tournament. Um, you know, kind of facetiously said about every Mountain West team, you know, don't trust them. But I did, I couldn't come up with a legitimate reason not to believe in San Diego State aside from just the Mountain West thing. So I, I think they, now that that is no longer a stigma, I mean, maybe they could become a, a legitimate, you know, kind of college basketball mid-major powerhouse uh, in, until the Pac-12 comes calling. You're stealing my next question. It's exactly it. I mean, how soon before San Diego State's announced to be headed to the Pac-12? Yeah, I, I guess they probably need to improve their football uh, situation first. Uh, you know, Pac-12 doesn't much care about basketball media rights as much as it does football. But yeah, I, this uh, that was one of the things I wrote about heading into the Final Four. That you know, the kind of a kind of an audition. For for the Aztecs to go to the Pac-12, um, obviously that uh, that realignment hasn't uh, hasn't stopped. Um, I, I don't know where we're going to end up on that front, um, but yeah, I think that's a, a very strong possibility that they they do go to the Pac-12. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they're offering a lot of money to Gonzaga pretty soon as well, which would make that one hell of a, a basketball conference even after losing UCLA. San Diego State can San Diego State save the Pac-12? You know, it hasn't exactly been, uh, you know, basically uh, thriving here in football and basketball in recent years. Yeah, it it, it would be funny if a team comes in from the Mountain West and, and fixes all the league's problems. Um, I mean, they've, I think they've finished above at least five games above 500 in like 18 consecutive seasons. Like they, they've got the basketball pedigree, even though you know they had that never made it past the Sweet 16 stigma until two weeks ago. Um, you know, I think it'd be a great pickup. Um, I, I think uh, Cal hiring Mark Madsen is going to get them back on the map to some extent. Uh, you know, Maybe Oregon will be back again soon. I mean, there's no reason the Pac-12 should be down. It, it should not be a two-and-a-half bid league every year. Uh, if they do get San Diego State, that'd be – That'd be a help. I, I think that would offset the loss of UCLA and USC, at least to some extent. Okay, so in summary here, we made it through 67 games. Uh, what, what are some of your favorite moments from the 2023 NCAA tournament? Uh, everything Marquise Noel did. Uh, that was <laughs> it, it was great to see Florida Atlantic make the Final Four, uh, but I was sad that <laughs> Marquise Noel didn't get to you know, kind of complete that Kemba Walker 2.0 uh, comparison. You know, kid from the Bronx getting to play, you know, start the tournament kind of in New York City, finish it in Houston, doing everything that he did. That would have been amazing. But, yeah, Kansas State's run was incredible. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember what, obviously, Barry Dickinson knocking off Purdue. We'll never forget that, even though they're, you know, the second to do it. Uh, um, that was a pretty amazing moment. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, Mostly Marquise Noel, honestly. <laughs> I feel like he was the story of the entire tournament. It's hard to believe he didn't make the Final Four. 
That's true. He was tremendous back home in NYC at MSG. Uh, okay, so the offseason. What are some offseason storylines that you and we should be following here in the next few weeks? Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the portal, right? There's already – I wish there was some way to – you know, in the NBA, it's like July 1st, right, before you can do free agency. I wish we could somehow get a moratorium. All It's impossible to keep up yeah. with it all while you're trying to watch the tournament. I mean, there's 1,250 kids in the portal. We've seen something like 45 coaching changes as well. So, you know, John Rothstein's little We Sleep in May thing is, is no joke. Uh, it's <laughs> nonstop for the next month still. But, uh, I mean, storylines heading for I think it's mostly – realignment honestly i mean it's college basketball offseason no news is good news right it's usually you know somebody's right. getting arrested or somebody's getting an fbi indictment or something <laughs> but i think uh you know realignment is going to be a major topic of conversation um this offseason carrie i always appreciate it uh, even more so than usual today after uh, i'm sure a long night for you last night and uh just mm-hmm. thanks for all the all the knowledge and information that you provided throughout the season. Thanks much, and uh, look forward to talking to you in the fall and uh, and uh, next basketball season too. Hey, sounds great. Take care, Bob. Kerry Miller, Bleacher Report.